Greetings and salutations, board game fans. The Dice Pirates are back. This is episode 31. I, am, of course, am your host, Ian, joined by Aaron and Matt. We do apologize for the week delay. Unfortunately, Matt has been sick with the scurvy. He has been uh, sick midships for uh, a week, so we are back now. Hopefully, uh, you guys are doing well. Hopefully, Matt, you're doing okay. I've been eating my limes and my lemons, got my citrus. Uh, my teeth are not nearly as loose. So that's good. Uh, still low energy, uh, so I'm probably just gonna hang out over here on this uh, on the poop deck. I just I just want to say poop deck. Yes, the the reports of our deaths have been greatly exaggerated. We are gonna go ahead and jump right into the game. We're gonna shake things up a little bit. We're gonna play some bitter board gamers. Of course, I'm gonna read some one star reviews. You guys are gonna guess the game. You guys excited? I'm raising the roof. The people at home can't see it, but I'm doing it. He's raising the roof. Alrighty, let's jump into our first game. Finally put on the table. Didn't get the appeal. All you're doing is pushing cubes around for the entire two-hour slog. Art and component quality is bad. I believe we were even missing a card or two from the plant guys. Just really bad. Ooh. My initial thought was uh, Lords of Waterdeep, but... The art and component quality of that game is pretty great, so... I yeah, I was about to... Is, is it, though? It's just fine. It's, the, it's the little half-moon coins and the square coins. Yeah. And they could have just all been circles. That game, It could be much worse. It's That's got, true. like, it D&D... Yeah, it's got a classic D&D art. Um, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying it is Lords of Water. All, all you do is pushing cubes around? I thought it said cubes. Yeah. I mean, granted, that is roughly one-third of all board games, so... Yeah, the cubes, that's not really... Yeah. Uh, they weren't even in a bag, so, I mean... It, cubes in a bag are the only they, they way to do it. They weren't individually packaged. Yeah. Uh, okay, so <laughs> here's your here's your second review. I played this game twice and did not like it either time. The timed trading sequences in the game are mayhem. Very, very, very bad mayhem. Would not wish this game on my worst enemy. Uh, this is Sidereal Confluence, and I completely agree with both of those complaints. Uh, that game is hot garbage. It is Sidereal <laughs> Confluence. I'm going to quickly read you the third review. Sidereal Flatulence is more like it. Avoid <laughs> at all cost. Literally just sitting around asking people for cubes. No stakes, no theme. So dry, so boring. Avoid! <laughs> Boy, I like that scenario. I like that scenario flatulence comment way more than I should have. <laughs> Very much. I wasn't ready for it, I, and it, it just hit me just right. I definitely bounced <laughs> off that game. Wicked hard. I, I understand. I get why people like it. It's such a singularly unique. I've never played anything at all like that game. Probably never will again. It is. It it's something. It is worth playing once to see if you like it because there are no comparisons to be made but if you are not into it you will not be into it at all it is hot garbage for some reason all of this talk about it we packed it's come up like on three different episodes now i, I want to play it i went I from like la- yeah, yeah i went from laughing about it to now i'm just like well now i just kind of want to have this experience <laughs> yeah. it's, it's it's like someone has talked up how hot this pepper is to the point of like well now i just got to experience it i want to eat this ghost pepper and see if it kills me i have never wanted to eat the ghost pepper in my entire life so i do not share that with you at all i don't want to die uh Sure, I don't actually want to eat a ghost pepper, but I do want to play uh, Sidereal Confluence, the ghost pepper of board the games. The ghost pepper of board games. <laughs> well, I'm sure that maybe one day we'll get there. We'll have to try it out, even if it's just we all bounce off of it. I'm going to go ahead and read the review for your yeah. second game now. A good roll and write game, in air quotes. Except the roll is player deterministic. This makes the game better than the many roll and writes. It's still too solitaire for my taste. The player elimination can be annoying if you got eliminated early and the game drags on for the others. That's a one-star review. That sounded like a good review. So this <laughs> one is actually this one's actually a three-star review. The one and two were not nearly as bitter as I wanted, so I kind of had to... They also were very, very bare-bones, so this was a little bit less less one-star okay. and slightly, slightly more, slightly better. I haven't hmm. played a whole lot of roll and write games, so. Yeah, I haven't either. It's a genre that we haven't dipped. In. It's a trendy little genre that we haven't dipped in enough. Uh, is it cartographers? It is not cartographers. 
I just guessed a roll and write game that I know. Yeah. <laughs> All right. The I'm going to go ahead and read your second review. Okay. I literally scored one point. That may sound bitter, but it's just a random fest of cube drawing placement. Pass Ooh, on it. Cube drawing. A classic mechanic. Classic uh, mechanic. A random cube drawing roll and write game. Um, I got nothing on this, man. I, I, this is this is bad content, but I got I have no guesses. I to, I'm totally like. I'm gonna read the last review for you. If you guys don't get it, I will give you a little bit of a hint. I'll give you a hint now. I th so I saw I saw a consistent pattern in a lot of the reviews of people comparing this to a roll and write game, but I don't see the connection. That's actually a little bit of misdirection on my part. I don't know oh, that the roll really? and write connection is as strong as a lot of people have said. So here's your last review. At one point in every session I've had of this, I've looked around the table and was the only person with their head up, looking at anyone else. That should tell you all you need to know depending on your preferred level of player interaction. It's a nice little puzzle, but for me is akin to doing a Sudoku alone at home. Everyone just kind of says the score they got at the end, and you could easily go the rest of the game without saying a word. If the game actively drives down my engagement with friends or family, I'm not going to be a fan regardless of how clever it is. Ooh, is it Tiny Towns? It's Tiny Towns. Yeah. <laughs> Roll and write game. What are they talking about? There's no writing in that. That's insane. Now I'm Very just angry. Odd. Now I'm just I, angry. I a little bit get the, com get the the comparison, but yeah, that's... I'm surprised that doesn't have more more uh, vitriolic reviews. Because yeah, I feel like I, that anything was, that popular. So that was surprising to me because Tiny Towns is a game that I feel like every time we play, especially with larger player counts, and Matt can attest to this, brings out... The, the vitriol brings out the spite in everyone because yeah. somebody just keeps picking glass and it gets you it gets so fresh now we are gonna I, this is a game i want to talk about i am gonna bring this out later so we will get to really dive into okay. this okay okay but this is actually going to tie into my soapbox which is kind of more of a discussion for us because i feel like this the end of this was really interesting because it was talking about how if a game like drives engagement away i don't agree that tiny towns drives engagement away but it is interesting for me like if you have a game that i know that multiplayer solitaire is sometimes a controversial term but for lack of a better word yeah. a game where you're not actually interacting with people you're just sort of sitting around a table doing things i do is that like how do you feel about games like that is there a place for those games like especially like board gaming is such a social thing like, when you have a game where everyone just doesn't talk to each other, everyone's just fully focused on what they're doing, and when the things that you're doing on your own board don't affect anybody else, is that as good as something where you actually do get to engage? I mean, it's the opposite of, like, scenario I, confluence. I have, a, I have a beef with this concept. It comes up a lot. There are definitely games with less player interaction, but I don't know if I have personally ever played a board game with no player interaction, right? Like... True, that, so I guess it's being a little bit of it's splitting hairs a little bit. But when people talk about games that feel like multiplayer solitaire, that actually isn't. I don't believe there is actually such a thing. Even a game like Villainous, which is, in my opinion, the closest you get to this because everybody has such distinct individual game experiences yeah. happening when you play Villainous. There are still moments when the other players can do something to like muddle up your plans. So uh, I don't know. I don't even know if I agree that this is a real problem i feel like this is more just you know there are games with less player interaction and there are games that like thrive in player interaction i i can see where if you are the type of person like there are a lot of games like my my, my main game group right now they really like games that have fighting and if the game does not have fighting even if it is a well-designed competently put together like if it is a a game that i really love if it doesn't have fighting or the fighting isn't good, it sits a lot lower for them just because they're not fighting each other. So if mm. you are the type of person who, like, you want to go into a game and I want to mess with what you're doing, I want you to mess with what I'm doing, I want us to be competing for scarce resources, I can see where, you know, something like Tiny Towns where it is it's almost pastoral you know it's a very calm you, you you pick the thing and then everyone does their thing with the same you know there's there's no player driven conflict whatsoever 
mechanically. Now, yes, uh, Matt will absolutely get mad at me for picking glass for the third turn in a row. Yeah. But that's but that's not the, you know that's that's not the game effect. That's that's just the the table effect of it. So I I, yeah. I can see why people don't like those sorts of games. But at the same time, uh, I mean I mean not to go all like different strokes for different folks. Yeah. But like there's there's room for those games too. Like it's I I, I can have a lot of fun looking up at the end of the game and being like, oh, you did that? Oh, cool. Okay, cool. And then I did that, you know, just comparing strategies yeah. at that point. I mean, those kind of games have been around for, I mean, like, think about, like, a lot of roll and rights are essentially, like, kind of multiplayer solitaire because you're, you're rolling dice. Like, realistically, the other people, not all roll and write games, but a lot of those games, the other people could not be at the table. I mean, think about Yahtzee, you know, as a game. I mean, realistically, the other mm -hmm. people don't even need to be there. You can play Yahtzee by yourself. But why would you the play Yahtzee by right. yourself? You know? Like, yeah, the original roll and write. Like, that's, you roll the dice, you choose what you do on the board, and yeah, you're there to experience it with other players. But I guess, like, and yeah, like you said, it obviously depends on, on what sort of social interaction you want. But it is interesting to have such a different, like, variance in how you just interact with other people on the board. You know, most of the games that are accused of, like, being like multiplayer or multiplayer solitaire games are games where you're building and working on some little thing by yourself and sometimes i'm really like up for those games i actually as we've been talking about this i realized that a lot of games that get accused of this i really like sagrada azul uh other games like this that are kind of just about, I guess maybe even like Castles of Burgundy. Games where you have a little tableau where you're arranging your little thing to yourself and you're obviously competing with other people and there are moments of player interaction, but for the most part you're just kind of solving your puzzle and doing your thing. And that's that can be really satisfying. I find games like that with my personality type when I play, I'm not hyper competitive. Uh, sometimes I just like, I'll lose a game like that, but be very pleased with like the thing that I made. Uh, where yeah. it's just like, look at my little pattern. That was fun. Or I accomplished the little hidden goal that I had in Sagrada, and I didn't win, but I got all of these like blues in a row. And look at that. That made me feel good. So you still get the little endorphin rush of like doing a thing. Um, yeah, I, I don't. I don't get that like constantly needing conflict. You know, sometimes I'm very there for that. Like, yes, let's definitely play this huge war game and let's fight it out. But sometimes I'm just like, man, I just want to arrange some little, little tiles on a little tableau. I do like that a lot. There is that's become those kind of games have become my wife and I's go-to for just a quiet night together. We'll play like a game of Calico or something like that. So there's a lot of space for games like that. Matt, I know you had a soapbox that you wanted to bring to us. Sure. This is kind of a weird one. I was thinking about how I wanted to frame this, but I just had an interesting experience playing a board game the other night. And part of it is I just want to share the game, uh, a fun like play session. Uh, but also just kind of like the motivation to play it. I thought was really interesting when I thought back on it. So, uh, so I played Twilight Struggle the other day, the the classic game of Cold War intrigue and conflict from GMT Games, uh, that was uh, long heralded as the greatest board game of all time uh, for many years on Board Game Geek. Uh, it's become a real favorite amongst us in the game group. But I had a specific reason to want to play it, and it was a little weird. Uh, watching the news over the past few weeks with uh, with Russia surrounding Ukraine and the world feeling like it's on the precipice of a uh, war in Europe again. I had this like weird impulse to play twilight struggle, which I thought was odd, an odd way, <laughs> <laughs> but it made me think of like, you know, what's interesting. It's like, you know, game, this idea of like game as art and like game fans, like you kind of like go to your artistic medium of choice to like process, you know, what's happening in the world and like playing twilight struggle kind of made me feel like more hopeful really about what uh is happening which is a weird thing to say because uh as you play that game you work your way through the various historical events of the actual cold war which sort of like gradually and in sort of gradually and, and and against all odds work their way toward peace that was a really interesting thing about the play experience because you start like playing all these cards about like uh the the, the uh thawing of relations between the U.S. and Russia, and uh, the you know the election of Gorbachev and the reforms that happened and the peace talks between Bush, you know, and you're just like, okay, this is sort of interesting. It's like maybe we don't, maybe it's not all doom and gloom. Maybe there's like some hope. So I felt like 
that's my so my soapbox is like board games can be a little bit of therapy and a way to process the world. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about was if you have never played uh, Twilight Struggle using the late game uh, variant, I strongly encourage you to. The this game is hard to play through all ten rounds if you start at the beginning. It uh, in our experience it ends in the earlier mid war many times, often with a Soviet victory. Uh, maybe we just haven't learned the game well enough yet. It's hard for the to get over the hump and get into that late stage that simulates the 80s, the 70s and 80s. But there is a setup uh, variation where you set up the like the look and feel of the uh, world um, as it looked in 1975, right after the fall of Saigon and the U.S. pull out from Vietnam, and then you work your way forward from there. And so you get to relive all these like really interesting historical events and. Uh, and you get to uh, play all these cards that we never got to see before. Uh, Dennis and I had a blast about it. I won. Uh, that was uh, not not bragging. I think I mostly got lucky because we didn't really uh, know how the game would. But I highly recommend that you play Twilight Struggle in the late game to see a lot of interesting cards and to kind of make the game feel real, real different. I think what's really interesting about this is that it sounds like the late game variant is something that is included within the game like they give you the setup for that yeah it's in the box because they sort of acknowledge that most games that many games particularly inexperienced players like we are this is a game that truly takes years to master i mean there's a extremely nuanced competitive scene around this game i think a couple of more veteran players will go from early to late war pretty easily because they know how to like hold their positions and not completely blow the game. But we tend to end in the mid-war almost every time, which is around turn probably four or five. Um, That's just really interesting to me that you have, like there's a game where, I mean, there are some games where they give you like different ways to play, but to have a game where like, they're basically just like, here, skip the beginning of it because you might not get to, that's interesting. I don't know that there's a game like that well and it's because there's like a third or more of the cards and the experiences in the game that you just won't see because of the way this game works is as you move into different eras of play you fold in more cards into the deck you draw uh it's hard to describe the gameplay of twilight appearance twilight struggle but it is sort of a deck builder not really it's a deck it's a hand management game you draw a hand of cards and you play those cards to like do different things on your turn and uh, there's early war cards, mid-war cards, and then a whole deck of late war cards that you basically hardly ever see. And so we got to play around with events like uh, Star Wars and the, the election of John Paul II as the Pope and all these like things that happen like, later and, and have profound effects on Europe and the world. It's also just one of those rare games that like you actually learn stuff. I mean, cards will pop out, and you're like, what is this even referencing? And for the first time, we actually found ourselves like, because we were playing sort of a leisurely game, like looking up the index in the back and learning like little snippets about the Cold War history. So that kind of goes back to my original point. It actually was like an interesting thing of like using a board game to kind of learn more about world events, how we got to the point we have. Uh, It was fun. It was cool. Board gamers processing world events by playing games. So when the aliens come, I'm going to go straight to Twilight Imperium and learn what I need to do to defend myself. It is, in fact, it's like a it's a manual for how to how to do that. I think is the the stated goal of the game. Yeah, <laughs> that's exciting. That's a game that when we next meet, I do want to get to play with you for sure. Yeah, you'll like it. I think we're gonna go ahead and move on to our main topic. We're gonna break down some games that we've been enjoying lately. Kind of dive into those. So we'll be right back in just a minute. Um, Dice Pirates brought to you this week by Stamps.com. Stamps, the post office. Hello, I am Reiner Knizia, and I come to you today to talk about Stamps.com. Did you see that uh, Reiner Knizia uh, has a new game called Cat Astrophy? Yes, I have made a game called Cat Astrophy. Do you hear it? Cat ass. Ha! Ha ha ha! Uh, no, it's, it's literally... It's, hold on, let me show you the, the picture. That's... You don't have to show me. I made the game. <laughs> I am Reiner Knizia. Thank you, Mr. Knizia, for joining us. This is yes, this is an honor for okay. you to be here with me. Anyway, stamps.com, okay. uh, <laughs> when you need to mail things, promo code Knizia. Can you not spell that? Good luck. 
Alrighty, and welcome back to the Dice Pirates, and we're about to dive into our main topic this week, which is another Dice Pirates triple header. That's when we review uh, three games uh, that we've been playing and give you some thoughts, impressions, see if maybe they're games you want to add to your collection. And we have three wildly divergent games here for your taste today. We're going to be talking about The Night Cage, Tiny Towns, and Tiny Epic Dungeon. So, uh... What are, we, what are we tackling first? So, I know we already talked about Tiny Towns a little bit, so I think let's just jump right into it and kind of round out that discussion. Because I've actually been playing a lot more Tiny Towns lately. Uh, we got that game as like a, a late Christmas, uh, early Valentine's Day uh, present for ourselves. And so we've been playing a lot of Tiny Towns and played it. So when we played it as a group, we always played with five people. And yes. I've been playing a lot with just my wife, so we've been playing two people. And one of the things that astounded me is how drastically different the experience is. So just to break down exactly how Tiny Towns work, you're given a 4x4 four four grid in which you try to build a town. There's uh, seven different buildings. All of them have different ways of scoring. There's like a bunch of types of buildings, so each game you're going to have new ones come out. So you have to, you can't always plan ahead. You can't like plan and optimize, you have to optimize based on the buildings that come out. For instance, like cottages must be fed, but depending on like what type of building is out to feed them, you might have to keep them in the same row, or you might have to build them all next to each other, things like that. So the way you play the game is going to differ depending on the cards out. The way that you build is by actually getting these colored cubes, and each person takes a turn choosing a cube, and they will put that on their little building site area you get to have to put that on one of your 16 squares but the twist comes in that everybody else must also take the color cube that you chose mm. so i choose a red cube everyone else has to take a red cube then the next person decides to take a blue cube i also have to take a blue cube so very quickly things begin to you you think at first okay i know exactly what i'm going to do but then somebody's taken a lot of resources that you don't need you may not need glass to, for your city at all but all of a sudden you're have you have to deal with glass so what are you going to do with that so it's very it's you know it's a game of optimization but it's also a game of how do you deal with things coming in that you don't need so how, what is your way of mitigating that it's very it's very fun but i think what's really interesting is that with two people you actually get to really plan and do a lot more you're very rarely going to end up in a situation where you, where you are completely lost because you actually get to, I mean, 50% of the time, you're choosing the cubes, so you can mitigate things a lot more. But with a lot of people, it just becomes madness. I know that we've played this quite a bit, Matt. I don't think you've played it with a smaller group of people, but I know that this was this is one of my favorite reviews you've ever written on the, the Instagram account because it just really encapsulated the, the madness that you feel. Yeah, yes. Uh, all right, so I sort of infamous, infamously have uh, a love-hate relationship with this game, and everyone makes fun of me for uh, uh, quote-unquote hating it. I really don't hate it. It is an absolutely brilliant piece of game design because it combines uh, basically like two kinds of like planning. Like You have to be thinking about where you're going to immediately place this resource when you grab it on your four four by four grid to make the shape you need to make the desired building and then you've got to think about where you're going to place that building to leave yourself ample room to keep placing other stuff so you're doing this weird four-dimensional chess of like thinking uh, several steps ahead involving uh all sorts of orientation of like buildings because you know a lot of your bonuses that all your in-game bonusing is tied up in making sure that like your cottages are in the same row with your like orchards and then like that these wells are adjacent to this and so there's all of this pl complex placement stuff you got to go on in the meantime more and more resources are coming in i find the game to be remarkably stressful and i wrote a uh diatribe against the game on our instagram account a while back i was going to read it but i don't want to uh go back in it was several years ago i don't want to go back dozens of posts and find it but if you scroll deep in uh, my favorite thing about it when I wrote this post uh, about all my uh, sort of like a, a rant about how stressful the game is, uh, the designer uh, commented and was like, thanks, question <laughs> mark. Uh, <laughs> but 
and it, and it really was like a compliment to like how smart this was that uh, it, it is stressful, but in a good way. Yeah. But I, will, but I will say this. I've only ever played the, the lowest player count I've ever played the game was with four players. And it was actually immediately more manageable uh, just because in between your turns, that's just one less extra resource coming in that you got to account for. And so I can totally imagine that playing it two players would be much more chill because it's like you take the resource you need, your opponent takes the resource they need. That's one additional resource that you've got to account for and not five or six or whatever, however many uh, the max player count is. So I can see this game changing its feel a lot at different player counts. The other thing that I, I do like, and this kind of goes back to the review that we had, but the the enjoyment I think you're going to have with the game, especially at higher player counts, is dependent on the, the group of people and how outgoing they are. Because inevitably, you're going to keep getting one of, res one of you know, a certain type of resource and you're not going to need it. And if the people at the table are, are, very, are willing to be very vocal about it and very upset at the fact <laughs> that they're getting this, it only makes the game more exciting because then every time somebody picks another glass, there is a chorus of voices. Why would you pick a glass? What are you doing? <laughs> what are you you doing? don't need that much glass. You know, and it, it becomes, it, it makes the experience that much more fun when there's this shared just consternation because things are just constantly falling apart for everybody at the table. Because when you have that many resources coming in, you can't, there's no way you can actually deal with it all. So it just becomes who can be the least angry, which which I think is very fun. And it, I, I don't know that there are, like, I, I'm actually not sure if there's a game that, like, changes that much based on player count. You know, like, I... I I mean, maybe something like the big war games, but even those, like, there's still a, a fairly, like, similar idea. I just think it's interesting how differently that game changes based on how many people are playing. Yeah. And speaking of how differently it changes, I mean, I, I would say this game uh, is a real bang for your buck because there's a lot of variety in the box. There are many different building types that you deal out randomly every time you play the game uh, that have different powers and effects that score differently and do different things. And so uh, there's a good amount of variety in the base box uh, of this. Uh, it's You never quite play the same game twice with the same combination of buildings that you're trying to construct. You get a secret like building that is your like special building that you're trying to make, and that can be different every time with a special power or effect. So there's a lot of variety baked in to uh, how this game uh, plays out every time it hits the table, which is really, really nice. Yeah, and they, uh, I mean, you can't, I am a, uh, as a, a reformed Magic player, um, you gotta love any opportunity to hate draft away from people, or in this game, <laughs> into people of like, you know, because you can see, because it's, it's, you know, a, a simple grid with big chunky wood pieces, you can see what people are working toward very easily across the table. So it's really simple to see, like, oh, he desperately needs brick. So I'm going to never take brick. And I'm going to adjust what I was doing to make sure I don't ever have to take it specifically so that he can't, you know, until it's his turn, there's nothing he can do about it. I mean, it's it, all, all these complaints about low player interaction, like, that's just you not paying attention. I did find my old review. I'm going to read it really quick, just to, uh, just for fun. Uh, here now is a dramatization of playing Tiny Towns. Uh, oh, wow, look at this cute little game with tiny wooden buildings and cubes. This looks very relaxing. This is relaxing, just plopping down wood and wheat. Hey, look, I made a little cottage. Looks more closely at the board. Oh, that cottage is kind of blocking me from building other stuff. This is kind of tricky. <laughs> you picking wheat, Bob? I don't really need wheat right now. I guess I'll just stick this cube over here. Sweat begins to form on brow. <laughs> Picking wheat again, huh, Bob? What are you building over there? The entire state of Oklahoma? Laughs nervously. <laughs> Panic is setting in. Boy, things are starting to get crowded over here in Tiny Town. Ha ha ha. Guess I'll just pick glass this time. Hey, Bob, maybe don't pick wheat this time, okay, buddy? Bob picks wheat. You wheat hoarding son of a flips table. Wooden buildings cascade down like so many tears. Uh, and then uh, Peter McPherson, who uh, is a good sport, commented on this. Uh, Love this one-act play of Tiny Towns. So glad you enjoyed it, I think. So uh, <laughs> thanks, Peter. Thanks, Peter, for being uh, a good sport about that. But yeah, I mean, it is like a deceptively tense and thinky little game. 
that anxiety does ramp up uh, considerably at a higher player count. It also probably is not nearly as anxious if your spatial reasoning skills are better than mine. It's a game that I think is well worth trying out at some point. It's a game that I personally really enjoy. Aaron, I know that you have been playing some tiny epic dungeons lately. Why don't you bring us a little bit about that? Yes, so Tiny Epic Dungeons, the uh, latest in Gamelin Games' Tiny Epic series, uh, the the easily most popular, most successful of which Tiny Epic Galaxies. Tiny Epic Dungeons is their attempt at abstracting your uh, table hog full afternoon deep dungeon crawl into a small box that'll fit into your jinkos so it's i mean it's does what it says on the tin it is a dungeon crawler uh you uh for the first time any any of their games the player pieces are actually uh miniatures not meeples or, or other uh wooden bits all of the enemies are represented by really beautifully uh screen printed uh custom shaped meeples which is really great um so it's it, it, really straightforward you have an amount of movement that you can spend you can do one heroic big action on your turn which is usually attacking uh you can do any number of free actions and you just are going through the dungeon uh there's a constant threat of goblins overtaking you uh every so often there's a there's a time track that at the end of each player's turn the time track ticks down and frequently on that track the game will either add a a goblin to the board or cause every monster on the board to activate usually attacking you and your friends um and you have you can have four goblins out at a time if ever a fifth goblin would get added to the board that's another way the game can end obviously you can win with uh you can lose with uh the time track running out or all of your heroes being knocked out at the same time it is ambitious i will say (laughs) Uh, i've i've mostly been playing it uh solo and in the solo mode you have to have you have to play two-handed. You have to have two heroes, um, which is fine. This isn't one of those. It's not like playing Gloomhaven two-handed where there's a lot of things you have to manage between both characters. It's relatively simple. Like I said, you move, usually attack or explore the dungeon to try and find specific tiles, and then it's the next player's turn. So the mental overhead is, is actually really manageable in this. But there are, it is attempting to do a lot of big box dungeon crawler things. You have, uh, in with the with all of the loot, you have like sets of loot that you can gather, and if you have multiple pieces of the set, you get bonuses depending on how many you have. But it's, you know, all of the loot, uh, especially if you've got the expansion and the the Kickstarter extras, just gets shuffled into one common deck so ironically if you bought less stuff it's easier for you to get more complete sets of loot because the 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 deck is a lot less diluted so Um, it sounds like because you can play it by yourself is this a purely cooperative game yes yes this is a full co-op there is no hidden traitor mechanic no uh the the monsters are all uh, very simple to control for the most part. Uh, one of the this is this is a bordering bordering into uh, soapbox territory. A thing that a lot of game publishers have started doing uh, in the past decade or so, so not recently, uh, is to make it easier to sell their games to as many markets as possible they'll put as little text on the card as they can get away oh, with this yeah. is a soapbox because we've both had issues with this everything is symbols mm-hmm. and i have played other games where everything is symbols and a lot of those games 
you know, it's it, it it's a common uh, it's a, a common refrain. But once you understand what the pictures mean, it's really easy. Uh, you know, for example, uh, race or role for the galaxy uses a lot of iconography, but it is judicious with it. It doesn't entirely lean on that. Uh, you know, there there may be limited text on the cards, or it may be, you know, it'll it doesn't use all of these crazy symbols. But in Tiny Epic Dungeons, because you have things like monster AI and uh, attack ranges, and even like you'll flip over a tile that'll have an event that triggers, and the event is explained entirely through pictograms. What? And it is really hard to parse at times exactly what the pictures and the sequence that they have put those pictures in is trying to convey to you um i don't love like, that i've i've seen uh on the the on the board game geek forums for this game i mean every day there's at least five new threads of so what is this card trying to tell me because i don't know what it means you know sometimes if if it's this picture but it's orange that means you can do that action and if it's this picture and it's orange, but there's a colon after the picture, then that means it's a trigger after you take that action. And there's just a lot of... It, it's trying to do a lot, and I can appreciate the difficulty in trying to convert you know, mm-hmm. the, the Gloomhaven experience into something that's you know, uh, relatively small and portable. Uh, but I think they may possibly have bitten off a little bit more than they could chew with this one. Is combat like dice driven or is it like card play stuff? Uh, it's, it's dice driven. The, the combat's actually really cool in this one. Um, your hero can roll one, two or three dice, depending on their proficiency with whatever, uh, type of attack they're doing. Uh, mm-hmm. For instance, you know your your barbarian is allowed to pick up a scroll and cast a spell, but he's going to be bad at it because he only has one die for whatever the blue spell casting stat is called. Whereas if he's swinging a sword, he gets to roll all three dice. And when you roll the dice, uh, they're numbered one through six, but one and two have a plus sign in front of them. So if I need a five to hit and I roll a three and two twos, I can use those twos to augment that three and now it's a seven and I've demolished you. Um, When you're fighting goblins, you just have to overcome, you know, goblins have one hit point. That's pretty standard stuff. You have the minions that are lurking around the dungeon and whatever damage you do past their defense is how many hit points they lose. And then whatever dice you don't use in a fight, this is where it gets really interesting because you'll be tempted to always use all of your dice to get as much possible damage. Whatever dice you don't use will usually give you some benefit of either restoring health or focus, which is a, a common currency that all the characters use to activate their their special abilities. So you kind of sometimes have to make the trade-off when you're fighting the minions or the bosses of do I want to do those extra two points of damage or do I want to get the two focus back so that next turn I can pop off my special and do even more damage, but am I even going to make it to that turn? And, and uh, I, that's... I have always been really impressed with like the amount of like depth that the Tiny Epic Games have for as small as they are. Um, yeah. But I'm curious, like, is it... Is it too much, do you think? Like, I know you said they bit off more than they can chew. Is there more than probably is necessary? Because, I mean, like, one of the things I do like about the Tiny Epic Games is even as much depth as they have, it's still easy to jump in. Like, I really love Tiny Epic Galaxies for that reason. Tiny Epic Kingdoms is still really fun. Even though there's a lot to do there, it's still pretty simple to just jump in and be like, this is how you play, let's go. Is this one of those games that, I mean, the iconography aside, is it just a little bit too much, do you think, for a, a normal Tiny Epic game? If you can wrap your head around how the iconography works, because in this game it, it it's not 
it's not pictures replacing words it is almost its own language that you have to learn the the syntax of if you can get your head around that it is at it like it's a really good game and i do really enjoy it um there is an expansion that adds like quests in addition to the dungeoneering that you're doing uh which i I've, I've only played with once and that just added that would probably be good if i was playing with like three other people and we were seated around the table and we could all you know but trying to manage all of that in my own head was was just way too much for me of course it was also very late um i will say that oh god i was about to say something just riveting like you guys were going to be like mind blown how cool the thing i was going to say wow i am mind my mind is blown i uh, am I mind say, blown <laughs> i will say um it has a fantastic variety like one of, i think the the best part about a good dungeon crawler is the variety of heroes is you know every time you sit down at the table you're playing with a, a new character that you've never played before and they have these this cool combination of powers that no one else has and this does that really well which is impressive for how small of a game it is and how limited the design space was uh, that all of the heroes feel completely unique even the ones that were you know kickstarter promos and part of the expansion like all of the heroes feel completely different from the other heroes at least the ones that i've played um but it, it's still it's and it's it is so hard and i know it's a full co-op game full co-op games are hard because yeah you're you know you're playing against the game i was gonna and, ask about the difficulty you don't want to win every time, but uh, the most common complaint that I've seen other than the iconography is how wicked impossible this game is at two heroes, so one player or two players. Uh, so much so that like there are, I think the most upvoted, like the top forum right now on the game is people trying to figure out how to patch the balance of the game at two players because... You have no time to do anything. You have precious few actions to do them. You know, you've only got two spots on the on the board that you can interact with because you've only got the two heroes. So if something springs up in the top right corner, you better hope that's not important because there's no way you're getting up there. Well, that's really common. I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm the uh, I'm the Dash Powers aficionado of of dungeon crawls. We did a whole episode of dungeon crawls pretty much because of how much I love them. And I can say with some uh, expertise that they are almost all, the best ones are almost all pretty hard. And even though they can be played solo with one hero, or sometimes the rules will tell you to do two heroes, like uh, Escape the Dark Castle is one that comes to mind where it says even if you play solo, you run two heroes. Almost every one of these games, if you're going to play it solo, you should just go ahead and prepare yourself for running like four heroes. So I bet you could play this game like with four heroes just by yourself like running the and whole I, party I, that's what i've been seeing a lot of is people saying like look it kind of sucks but like if you can do three or four characters at once it is a lot more to keep track of but it you'll win it just it balances it so much better because yeah for the most part enemy attacks don't really scale with player count right you know a, a goblin's attack will always do one damage but when you've got a pool of 20 hit points total for across all your characters versus 40 hit points, that one damage hits a lot more. Yeah. Yeah, that's something that you and I, Matt, experienced a little bit when we were playing uh, Warhammer Quest together, mm -hmm. where instead of playing with just one character for each of us, we just both took two characters. It is because, a much better I mean, game. It's, it's a much better game because you get to experience not only the the interplay between all the characters, but also you just you get more options. You you get more chances to do things, and I think it is. Yeah. I, I think it is better when you can have more. Yeah, I think probably like two player. I, I already not having played Tiny Epic Dungeons, I can guarantee you that an, an almost optimal play to, way to play it would be two players, each with two characters that are running. Because uh, that would be pretty good. So I guess like my big question is as a huge fan of dungeon crawls 
uh, am I going to like this game? Is there any reason for me not to get this when it finally makes its retail debut? I think you would. I think if you can, I th- I think it would be much better with other people. So if you, yeah, if you can if you can get it to the table, uh, I think it is a lot of good fun. They did a great job. You know, every basically every tile has something. There are no tiles where you flip it over and it's just a hallway or a room. There's something you can interact with, and usually that's the suboptimal play. Usually it's better to focus on finding the key things and defeating the monsters but you still have to appreciate that you know it uh, there are no dead turns you're always yeah you're always working toward trying to outrun the sunset a la the mummy Uh, (laughs) i like i'll tell you this about gamelin the tiny epic thing is tempting to write it off like a gimmick like yeah yeah you made these games you made them small but honestly it's a very nice thing to have in your collection a few games that are physically small and still play really well because i've there's been so many times where i've gone on a trip and i've thrown uh tiny epic galaxy or tiny epic kingdoms or tiny epic whatever in a quest in a in a a, thrown it in a uh, suitcase and it's nice to have a good game that actually has the feel of a much physically larger and expansive game but that like took up no room in a bag so these little tiny epic games actually i think have a great place in almost any board gamers collection and they've been doing so many of these now that there's uh basically almost every genre that you could want of thematic games from like strategy games to adventure stuff uh and i was thrilled like everyone else was to see them finally tackle the dungeon crawl wasn't quite uh intrigued enough to jump into that overblown kickstarter mostly because gamelin games find their way to uh, a certain online retailer that shall not be named uh find their way there pretty easily and until you send us a check yeah and in a few years i think uh this will probably be you'll probably be able to pick this up for 25 30 bucks uh in a year or two and i think i'll probably wait but it does look good i'm glad to hear it it's at least fun and a good representation of a genre that i really like yeah, like I said, all, all my complaints, it's just because I've been playing it so much. I, I really do enjoy the game. There are some issues. There are some things that I don't want to say need to be fixed, but could be improved, that could be better. But just out of the box, it is a solid, fun little dungeon crawl. You still get to move your little your little plastic mans around the map and, and fight guys. And I mean, really, that's that's all you want. Love that. Matt, I know you wanted to talk about Night Cage. Finally get that onto the podcast. Yeah, so this is a game that I've got around Christmas time and have been learning. Uh, I'm going to call this impressions and not quite a review. I don't think I've played it enough yet to give you all of my thoughts, but I like it enough to where I wanted to talk about it because it's one of the most unique games that I've played in the past year. I never, haven't played a game quite like it, and it's certainly got one of the most interesting themes. Uh, so picture this, if you will, listener. Close your eyes for a moment. Imagine you're uh, on your hands and knees, crawling through a darkened tunnel somewhere uh, in some labyrinth that you don't know where you got. Uh, the tunnel branches off infinitely in tiny little passageways, spiraling off into darkness. You have a candle in your hand that is rapidly uh, dwindling down to a waxy nub, and somewhere just outside the flickering light of the candle you sense that there's something moving and it's not human uh if that sounds like your cup of tea and if that sounds fun to you you're gonna like this horrible terrifying game called the night cage from the good people at smirk and dagger games or possibly smirk and laughter games i don't know it has two logos on the box confusingly uh this is a game that i saw uh in a store about a year ago and the cover to it which is a hand holding up a candle with this evocative title, The Night Cage, and I just was immediately gravitated to it. As a sucker for theme over substance and gameplay, I was just like, okay, you've got me. This looks crazy. And uh, the minute I saw the game's like weird black and white H.R. Uh, Giger-looking art, I was like, okay, I want this. And uh, my lovely wife uh, remembered that I liked it and bought it for me, and it showed up... Uh, as a surprise for Christmas. I'd almost completely forgotten that I'd seen it. And 
yeah, it's really good. It is a cooperative game where you place uh, where you play prisoners in a hellish labyrinth, trying to find your way out of a pitch black uh, narrow tunnel that is a maze. There are a set of keys that you need to find um, and get to a gate. And if you can get all the players and all the keys to a single gate, you get out and you win. Easy peasy. Except for the the hook of the game is that uh, you can only see the spaces immediately adjacent to you that are illuminated by this candle. Uh, The setup is a modular board where there are tiles that you draw and place as you move. So from your starting tile, you'd have like four visible like immediately adjacent places to move and then when you move one step forward on your turn uh all the spaces that are no longer adjacent to you immediately disappear into darkness and are discarded so this means that the maze is actually constantly changing around you if you were to double back you'd have to draw a new tile to represent the space there which means the maze is different so you're in the middle of an ever-shifting maze trying to find these keys and find a gate it's really really tough as long as the tile is illuminated it is locked into place so playing with uh the idea of like maybe not moving or moving in such a way that you can keep a tile you need on the board for as long as possible becomes a part of this strategy of like keeping light you know controlling where your light is as you and the other players work together um complicating things are monsters or these things called wax eaters that you will draw and they will trigger and attack you uh, anywhere that they have line of sight of you and can get to you. So they can be clear across the board, and if you move into their line of sight, they come zooming in and attack, and you they will uh, snuff out your uh, candle, which means you go into a mode where you're in the dark and you're panicked and a whole series of things. You have to find another survivor and relight your candle off of theirs. It's crazy. It's hard. It's pretty fun, but very difficult. Co-op games like this... So... Co-op games are either are trying to thread a needle, right? A game that's too easy that you win more often than you lose are not that fun. Games that are uh, pitched just right are games that you win with some frequency, but they're always tense. And a few weeks back, I talked about uh, Marvel United on here, which I've decided is a pretty darn good co-op game because you I've won it almost every time I've played it, but... Uh, always by the skin of my teeth, which is about the experience I'm looking for. Night Cage, to me, strikes me as a game you're probably going to lose more than you win. Um, so that's probably my biggest, like, uh, buyer beware. If you are looking for a cup game that you're not going to be banging your head against, I don't know if this is the one. Um, it feels pretty hard. It's a challenging little puzzle to get all of these keys and get them back to the gate and not have... Uh, essential tiles lose and you can make it you can very easily get a board state where it's impossible to get all the survivors to the board that happened to us ian when you and i played it we just there just wasn't any way to win you know when i got separated from the group the the tunnels all started to crumble and disappear into the darkness and uh there's just nothing to do yeah it's very it's very similar to like the forbidden island games and that whole like genre where you're trying to go around and search for various artifacts and find them and of course you know, with the, the difference, like you said, being that they do disappear as you go around. So you have to, to keep trying. But it is very atmospheric. Like, I do, I did really enjoy the experience of playing it. And even though, like, e- even the process of losing, like, you can kind of, like, it's, it was very evocative. Because you did, your character got stranded off to the side. And there was no way we could get to you. And even though we were all there and we had our keys and we were ready to leave... Unfortunately, there was just you were you were stuck on an island, and we just kept searching for you and, and never found you. It was very it's very bleak, but obviously you know intentionally so, which I thought was quite interesting because not a lot of games have that. Like not horror is a, a genre that I don't think you'll ever be able to actually recreate in board gaming, just because you can never have like the feeling of uncertainty that you get within horror. But this comes fairly close, I think. Yeah, I actually, I'm glad you said that. I um, I want to touch on that. Why I think this is one of the best horror games in particular. Remind me that I just said that. I want to, I want to touch on that. I think this is one of the very best horror games for a reason. But, uh, but you lead into why I think this game is worth taking a look at for a particular type of gamer. Even though it's really hard, uh, maybe not the game for everybody and every game group. But if you want something that's deeply thematic, if you like horror stuff. 
if you like games with a unique art style, the, the style and the theming of this game brings it over the hump to me and makes me really like it. It's got an incredibly unique black and white art style. It really is on the spectrum of H.R. Giger or something like that. They're very creepy, stylized, uh, little humanoid people and monsters. It's all tiles, really, and then a handful of like wooden meeples that represent candles that are your player pawn that you move. And then there's some neat pewter like metal keys with skull heads on them that you actually acquire and put in front of you, which is a nice touch. And then my favorite thematic thing is the draw stack for the tiles when you're making the dungeon is a tall candle. And it kind of evokes the feeling of the candle getting shorter and shorter because the game is on a timer. When uh, you've drawn the last tile in the stack and it's over, you reach a phase called final flickers and you have to get out before uh, time run before the dungeon just collapses around you and it's over. So it's really, really cool. The look and feel of the game is great. This weird theme that they came up with, which is there's no real backstory to like who the prisoners are and why they're in it. It's just like you're alone in the dark and you're trying to get out. I love that there's just enough story there to kind of get your imagination going. And there's all these neat visual art touches like around the periphery of the player board. You see the little like uh, figures crawling and crouching in the darkness. It's grim. It's a little scary. It's actually one of the few uh, games that I think actually makes you feel scary. And this is why I think it's one of the truly great horror games. Uh, horror is all about feeling powerless against things beyond your control. And almost every board game is a power fantasy. You gain weapons, magic, and strength. So like the Arkham horror games that Fantasy Flight puts out, like it, they're not really scary because after about an hour of play, you've acquired a hand grenade and a Tommy gun and a magic book, and you're whipping all these monsters' butts left and right. You know, Or like Zombie Side is certainly not scary because you're just like walking to a room and chop all these monsters. You know, Most board games want you to feel powerful, and so they're not scary. But this is a game where you never feel powerful. You feel completely lost, weak, and at the mercy of the monsters. And the monsters are genuinely scary. Like when you draw a wax eater and put it down on the board, it's like, oh crap. You you now you're 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 desperately trying to avoid that. You're not trying to confront it. And that to me is closer to like real horror. So this is actually a real achievement in my mind. If you like horror, I think you need to look at this pretty seriously. That definitely um, Looking at looking at the the artwork online, this definitely looks like a map game. Like yes, this, this evokes a lot of titles that you have brought up previously. For sure, it is on the spectrum for sure of Escape the Dark Castle, which I've already talked about on this episode, and other games. Merkborg for sure. Yeah, you know I'm a sucker for a certain aesthetic, so it was, was probably a given that I was going to get it and like it but this is uh i do think there's substance here i do think it, it works its theme into the game pretty well but at the at the end of it if i want to just put my game reviewer totally objective hat on it's a pretty simple game mechanic an evolving and collapsing dungeon or maze and uh it can create unwinnable board states and that's not gonna make everybody really happy mm. aaron your brother would will probably never play this game with me because <laughs> he won't be satisfied with a puzzle he can't, he can't. guaranteed win well a puzzle a puzzle with no guaranteed solution you know like yeah. you can make a misstep or even just you know not having played the game a ton uh my sense is that even just bad luck in like the tiles that come out can create like an unwinnable a borderline unwinnable position for you, and that's not going to satisfy everybody. Final thoughts on this game. A couple things I will say that give it some added value. It comes packed with a lot of extra content that you don't... Like, there's a basic setup with the monsters and the board, and then there's a bunch of advanced monsters when you want to kick it up a notch. And then even further, there's bosses, including a giant monster that takes up, like, nine of the tiles. And I don't even know how the rules are to, like, accommodate that. I think it's fun. I like when games come with like layers of complexity that make it feel like there's expansions built into the base box. Kind of reminds me of like Spirit Island, how there's a lot of extra modes and yeah. cards that you don't have to use. So, you know, if you end up buying the game and you like it, there's a lot of uh, depth there for replayability. So, The Night Cage, spooky, weird, creepy. Uh, maybe not everyone's cup of tea, but I've uh, been enjoying it so far. I don't think we could have picked three games that were further apart from each other, but <laughs> this is a, a fantastic trilogy. I'm excited to get to play Night Cage again when we get a chance to pick up Tiny Epic Dungeons at some point. But hopefully, 
at least one of these games was interesting to somebody listening and they're able to try that out. That's the episode for today, of course. Thank you, as always, everyone, for listening. We really do appreciate it. If you do enjoy the podcast, do consider giving us a rating. Maybe like us on any one of the numerous podcast places that you may use to listen, subscribe, or reach out and let us know that you're listening. Maybe you enjoyed some of these games. Maybe some of these games you, you didn't enjoy. Just let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Matt, if people do want to get in touch with us, where can they do so? Well, you can find us on the Instagram at Dice Pirates. Uh, we're there all week long, uh, posting about the games we're playing, uh, mini reviews, updates, uh, fun stuff on the Instagram story. And uh, best of all, if you send us a message or comment on a post, we'll talk to you in real life, and we promise to be nice. Keep an eye out. Of course, we'll be coming back soon with more Captain's Log and main episodes coming soon, so keep an eye out for that. But until then, we'll be right here on the Dice Pirates. Play more games.